Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 192, The Removed. Today, we'll discuss Brandon Hobson's new novel, The Removed, which follows a Cherokee family in Oklahoma in the aftermath of their son's death at the hands of a police officer. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey! Hey! Look at you guys. Look at your pretty faces. Yeah. So I, vaccinated I... and beautiful. I I am one vaccinated. I am one hundred percent caffeinated and vaccinated, and uh, very excited about that. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed how much better my internet connection is since I got my second vaccination. Incredible! Thanks, Mister Gates. <laughs> and also how I can sing any Dolly Parton song at any given moment. A coat of many colors. I don't know if that's how it goes. Is that how it goes? Although I didn't get the Dolly Parton. My wife got the Dolly Parton. Yeah, you know, I have a coming in hot with another podcast recommendation. If our listeners have not listened to the Radio Lab Dolly Parton crossover podcast, um, it no, is so no. good. So the reason, just a quick story, if you're a Radio Lab fan, the reason that um, Dolly Parton donated to the Moderna vaccine is that she she was in a car accident or something like that, and she had to go to the hospital, and her doctor was jad abumrad's father who's huh. a doctor and they they're like best friends now dolly huh. parton and <laughs> this guy this doctor well, so jad abumrad has been reporting on this like he did one episode about her but then he was like well i guess now i'm friends with dolly parton so i'm gonna do a whole series about it um and it's really 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 good because he's oh, basically wow. like why the hell is my like old father friends <laughs> with this lady like they're like right. best buddies so he it's uh, it's called doctor dolly that, parton's america is this the doctor that actually shot up dolly parton in that video that everyone saw oh i didn't see that video so i don't know but maybe so so there's a video of dolly parton getting her first shot and she's wearing a, a she, like she had a special outfit for the shot so she's got a little sleeveless get up on and the doctor comes, and Dolly Parton's being Dolly Parton, and the doctor's a very sort of taciturn, like, 75-year-old doctor giving her the shot. And she's cracking wise, and he's, like, just being a doctor. <laughs> it's, it's very amusing. Yeah. I, you know, the, the Dolly Parton thing is so interesting to me. Just And maybe this is because just just a result of getting older, but it's so interesting how, like, some people kind of fly under the radar for like public figures, like artists, like you kind of don't hear about them for a while. Or in the case of Dolly Parton, when I was a kid, because I didn't grow up listening to country music at all, the only thing that Dolly Parton was to me was big boob jokes on the playground. Yeah. Like that was right. all anybody ever said. It was like, if you, you know, you did certain hand gestures and what's that? It was like, oh, it's Dolly Parton hiding behind a tree or like there were all these, and I didn't know who she was. I didn't know anything about her. And like now she is just universally beloved. It's like, you right. know, it's one of those, like no one even at any point when I was a teenager said like, you should listen to Dolly Parton's music. It's good. And it's just so interesting now to be going through like all these things from, from our childhood, or at least my childhood, like in the nineties that are being reassessed and reevaluated or reappraised. And like, she's one of those people, like I hadn't heard anything about Dolly Parton last year. And now this year I can't go anywhere without somebody being like Dolly Parton is a goddess. And like, here's why. And she's amazing. But well, she, music is the best. She, and I'm like, yeah, she, that's fine. I just never knew. She's been a badass since 
since right. Jump Street, as right. the kids say. Like, <laughs> you like, should listen never... to this podcast, Ryder. She's yeah. I should. No, I yeah. Should. Yeah, I know, but it's just, yeah, it's like, you know, we're, I just, it's it's funny how pu- public figures are constantly being reassessed and, like, we go through these phases, you know, like, I don't know, I feel like, you know, Princess Di is going through one, Monica Lewinsky is gone, like, all the, and it's all from the same sort of era of, like, that, you know, and of course, Michael Jackson went through his, like, we, we've gone through all these periods of, like, these people are perfect to wait, there's something else going on here, or, <laughs> you know, these people are sort of faded and back from the, the limelight, we don't hear about them, and then suddenly they're, like, the best people in the world, well, it's just, and you know what all those things have in common and I'll, I'll put hashtag free Britney on this too is like yeah, right. we're seeing one. how our own biases and cultural sexism like kept us from seeing their greatness like right. if, if the first thing you think of with Dolly Parton is her big boobs like there's a big problem because there's so much more to her story and it's the same right. with Britney and it's the same with Princess Di like you're just seeing right. this sexist story and so right. now with our 2020 goggles we're like oh Wait yeah wow we really messed up <laughs> We really messed that, up. That Free Britney documentary, I was absolutely enraged <laughs> watching that. Like, like beyond consoling. And I was screaming and yelling. And I was saying to Wendy, who was watching at the same time, like, why aren't you pissed off? And she was like, because I've been pissed off for 25 years about it. And I yeah. was like, oh, I was the problem. <laughs> right. I, <laughs> right. Got it. But it's so upsetting and it's so profoundly, like, you feel so powerless. And then you understand, like, oh, why this entire movement came up is that all these smart, engaged people realized how powerless they felt and tried to do something about it. That documentary, man, whoo, God, that made me angry. I was so pissed off. It it was, for me, it was was weird to, like, realize that, like, I mean, and hope that, that our culture has changed from that a lot because like that period for me, like early aughts really is what you're talking about, right? Like 90, mm-hmm. 98 through mm-hmm. 2000. And right. that's like when I was still kind of famous and didn't want to be. And in retrospect, it was a lot of that culture of like yeah. TMZ and like that. I just hated it so much. And I remember, I mean, I hated all of it. Like I hated the music. I didn't want to listen to Britney's or any, like I just hated the whole like pop cultural world back then. And like watching that documentary, I was like, right, because it was awful. <laughs> like, right. The media culture was so mean back then all the way up into like Gawker period. And like, it was just this period of like, where celebrity, the invasion of celebrity's life was really rationalized. And like, yeah. for whatever reason, it was, you know, and I I, I had a, a friend at the time who I lost a friend because he was he was a, a writer director I'd been friends with. And then he took a job at TMZ and he invited me in to watch a, a segment he had produced. And it was it was awful. And I was just like, what are you doing, man? Like, mm-hmm. this is you can't work for this company. You can't do that. And he, you know, he was like. It was actually, he didn't say this, but his editor was like, well, they're famous, so they asked for it. Like, they have the right, mm-hmm. we have the right, you know. And there was just that pervasive attitude that, like, we can annoy celebrities or we can, because they're, you know, they're actors, they're singers, so they're putting themselves out there. And um, I just hated it. So, you know, I lost that friend and, you know, I just, I hated that culture. So, so watching that documentary really made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like bringing back, it was like re- reassessing the trauma of like, ugh. Yeah. I, and, and you know maybe it's because now I'm a you know I'm a 50 year old man which is hard for me to get out of my mouth but seeing <laughs> seeing Matt Lauer ask a 16 year old yeah. girl about her sex life I was like so weird what is happening I know. why is that person having this conversation with this woman and then like all these old dudes talking to her about her body and about her sex life I was like right. what is oh, well, wrong you know, with you people? I was on politically incorrect with 
the cast appointments were with Daniel Fischel, Will Fidel, and um, and Ben Savage. And they freaking asked us about Britney Spears' boob job. Oh, my God. And you know what? To her credit, to her credit, Danielle Fischel looked at, um, what's his name? Um, Bill Bill Maher. And was like, do you take Viagra? Why don't we talk about that? (laughs) Oh, my God. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) You know, in retrospect, Danielle was like so super strong because she was like, why are we talking about this? Like, we shouldn't be talking about whether she had a boob job or not. And in retrospect, I'm like really proud of her for that moment. And like, she threw it right back at him. Like, let's talk about your Viagra. Like, it was such a good moment. Um, But yeah, it's so weird. Like, in retrospect, like why were we talking like who cares you know you wouldn't yeah anyway oh just so wow. troubling so all of yeah. it's so troubling um i don't know how we got onto this topic uh, <laughs> yeah this is, but, i don't know how to segue from yeah this. i don't know how to get off <laughs> off is the oh, bigger problem Jesus. but uh let me just say yes we need to treat people better in general Okay. Which is a great segue to our historical mistreatment of the Native American. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus Christ. Okay. Hey, literary disco listeners. This is Todd. If you're like me, you might be getting a little tired of having the same old meals using the same old ingredients. Or maybe after over a year inside your house, you've just gotten back from the doctor for the first time and found that you need to significantly reduce the number of carbs you're eating. Well, you're in luck because we just started getting Green Chef at my house and it is absolutely fantastic. Green Chef is the first ever keto meal kit on the market. It makes sticking to a low carb lifestyle easy with recipes averaging only 14 net carbs each. Green Chef is also the first USDA certified organic meal kit company, which means you get to enjoy clean ingredients you can trust, seasonally sourced for peak freshness. So at my house, it's just me and my wife, Wendy. Um, And Wendy is a vegetarian and I eat like a 14 year old boy. Um, So that means sometimes uh, we don't uh, don't get to share meals together. And um, that's something we like to do. And that's what makes Green Chef so great because they have a lot of meals that um, are right for everybody. Now, fortunately, Wendy uh, is a vegetarian, but she eats shellfish. And so this week, we got the blackened shrimp with aioli, which comes with sauteed collard greens, bell pepper, celery, and pecans. It takes 25 minutes to cook and prepare, and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, You know, the, the whole process for us this week, there was a knock on the door, the dog went crazy, there was a box of food sitting out there, I opened it up, I started cooking, and in less than 30 minutes, um, I was fully stuffed with all of my serving and most of Wendy's. So we want to share this great meal kit company with you. And so we've got a special offer for Literary Disco listeners. If you go to greenchef.com 90disco and use the code 90disco, you'll get $90 off and free shipping. That's right. Go to greenchef.com 90disco and use the code 90disco to get $90 off, including free shipping. We think you're just going to love it. We sure have. And invite me over if you can't uh, if you can't finish. I'm always down to help you with the blackened shrimp. Green Chef. It's the number one meal kit for eating well. Um, all right, so Brandon Hobson's novel, Where the Dead Sit Talking, was a finalist for the 2018 National Book Award. Um, and he has published a bunch of stories in McSweeney's, Paris Review Daily, and more. He teaches in the MFA program at the Institute of American Indian Arts. And uh, The Removed is his latest book. And it follows the Ichota family. 
Um, it actually, you know, it was funny. I didn't realize when we started this, it has, it has a lot of parallels to, um, the Steph Chaw book that we read. Um, yeah. it seems you know, oh, your house this, must like, pay. Yeah. the house must pay, right? Again, it's sort of following the aftermath of a police shooting, which is uh, very timely. Yeah. My God. Of course, it, maybe it's always going to be timely. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what's so depressing is that it's, it would have been timely five, 10 years ago too, two years right. ago. So, but here we are in the heat, you know, really in the moment of uh, George Floyd's trial going on. And here's another novel that tackles the issue of what happens to a family um, when a police officer, a white police officer murders a person of color. Um, in this case, um, Ray Ray Ichota, who was a 15 year old boy who was killed in an altercation, um, which the book doesn't really focus on it. You know, it, right. it actually avoids the event itself. It's really about the family, uh, I guess, 15 years later or maybe yep. more. 15, 15, 15 years. Yeah. yeah, 15 years later, and they have a ceremony to um, celebrate his life, and, and it also falls on um, a Cherokee ceremony. Um, and it follows the various family members as they are all kind of broken in their own way. Uh so what do you guys think? Had you actually let me start here, Todd? Had you read any of his other books? I feel yes. Like yeah. So I read uh, "Where the Dead Sit Talking" and it was absolutely fucking remarkable. Great. It's just an absolutely amazing book. And, and so the, it's that the removed is actually an interesting book, apart from the fact that it's it's a wonderful novel. We'll talk about it in a second. But this is like his major label debut. <laughs> so gotcha. where. The, where the Dead Sit Talking was published by Soho, and Soho is, is you know, it's still a, a big press, but it, it's not, um, it's not Echo. And mm-hmm. um, so when Brandon got nominated for the National Book Award, or was it named a finalist for the National Book Award, it was a little bit of a surprise because Soho Press, uh, you know, typically has been thought of as sort of a genre press. They do a lot of crime fiction. They actually published um, my second novel, uh, Living Dead Girl. And uh, I was in an anthology of theirs, The Usual Santas, that came out a few years ago, uh, where it's Christmas crime stories. Mine had a beheaded family. But anyway, um, very holly jolly. Um, but this is his first book with a, with a big press, and he got a, he got a really significant book deal, um, which is great. Like, he got paid after the National Book Award uh, finalists, and as well he should. But the cool thing is, like, he didn't, move up a class in publishing with, you know, wider distribution and then water down what he does. Like, mm-hmm. this is what he does. And it's so cool to see him get a much bigger audience for the kind of writing that he is doing, which is not conventional. I mean, this is genre fiction of a different kind. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm a big fan of his in general. Um, and just a really big fan of this book. I mean, this dude took huge massive chances in this book and they pay off like there's no reason a book that should have a a spirit narrator in first person should work but it does um really no reason a book with four first person narrators should work but it does um i i was uh i was smitten by the book i suspect there are people that find it challenging and difficult to read it it's sort of like um in a way i kept thinking about lincoln and the bardo to be honest with you um because there is a, a supernatural element to actually two parts of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I really loved it and, and excited to, to talk to you guys about it. What, what did you think, Julia? Wow, dang. Swinging for the fences with that rave. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked it, but I didn't like it as much as you did. Um, I enjoyed it. Like, that's the word for the experience. And I, in fact, I think... 
my reading of it is the opposite of what you would expect. Like, I thought it was very easy to read, but I wasn't mm. really sure what was driving me through it. Um, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a good question because this is not a book about conflict. It's about the aftermath of conflict. Exactly right. right. Yeah. So now I'll also say I am like extremely colored in my mind by three books we've read in the last few years. Uh, Your House Will Pay. That definitely mm -hmm. came up for me. They're there. Yep. Which yeah. is very similar. And then I just read The Only Good Indians by Stephen oh, right. Graham Jones. Yeah. So I've got very similar to The Only Good Indians. In yeah. Fact. Yeah. But uh, The Only Good Indians and they're there. And I hate I hate to compare, but this is what was happening to me as a reader was like they're driven by violence that occurs at the end. So it was strange to to have these like echoes of other books and feel like, OK, I'm just sort of living in this world. I'm living in these people's minds. It's interesting, but, like, what is pulling me through this? Like, it's just one of those books, we've talked about this before, where I'm just like, wow, this is really sad. I really feel for these people. I am very depressed. Uh, and that's my major, like, mood while I'm reading it. Yeah, it's you know not a I mean? happy book, for sure. No, like, and I, I, I wouldn't expect that to be. Um, mm -hmm. But I wasn't gripped. I was interested. So there was... I, it's funny because the word for what I was feeling was a little removed. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So the maybe that's intentional. Yeah, that's exactly. So like all right. of these people. So to get into more of a reviewer mode, like all these people are very they're having a sense of disconnect, a sense of like longing and um, low level depression or anxiety. And that's and exactly what I was feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, a little bit of a harder a harder read in that sense where I'm like, I'm reading this, but I'm reading this because I a little bit like, I feel like I should be reading this. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. How, how about you, Ryan? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Julia. I felt, you know, uh, I also, I, I, while you were listing those books, I forgot. We also read Heartberries, yeah. which was, oh, yeah, more, yeah. which also has similarities with it. Yeah. But what that, basically what that tells me is that we're kind of in like a great moment for native literature. Yeah. Like, it seems yeah. like there's a lot of it coming out right now and a lot of it's really good, which is so awesome. Um, uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time. And I mean, I think the, the bigger question for me is, you know, the spirituality stuff. Like I just, and I'm, I'm really curious how you guys feel about this because it's one of those things that is like a fine line, right? Because I thought of Lincoln and the Bardo too. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, Lincoln and the Bardo was so out there from the beginning that it didn't bother me, right? Like I knew we were in this sort of spiritual, magical, made up land or, you know, whereas I wonder if this book, I wondered, you know, what I kept wondering is does Brandon Hobson intend us to take the magic as realism mm -hmm. or is the magic, um, you know, is it, is it fantastical? Is it magical realism? Or are we supposed to believe, you know, that, that these, that he believes as a storyteller, that these people are really going to a magical land or that these rituals are somehow really connected to, um, you know, the trauma and that these, they're really seeing ghosts and, and I don't know, like, I don't, you know, like, that's just an interesting question for me. Cause I remember like when I was a teenager reading Jim Harrison, mm -hmm. for instance, and he does a lot of the same sort of stuff. He'll, he'll have like, you know, spiritual or religious moments that, you know, magical things that happen. And I think what the, my, 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 my problem with it is that the organizing principle of the book becomes, uh, be, becomes less the author's organizing, like the author's is not, the author is not as, as much of a, like, 
creative organizing mind that is guiding you through a story as fulfilling a prophecy, if that makes sense, or like fulfilling mm -hmm. something that is already sort of determined. And when I start to feel like it's already determined or it's out, like it's, it's part of a religious system or part of a, a spiritual system that has procedures and rituals that is already established, I start to feel like I'm being manipulated, like the, or the story is being manipulated in order to mm. exemplify these spiritual points as opposed to, um, you know, it's, it's the old, like in a Shakespeare play when like the God comes down at the end, it just fixes everything. It's like, right. no, like don't do that. Like, you know, like I wanted to feel sort of still organic and, and, and this book lost me a couple of times when I was like, oh, we're in this realist mode and some weird things are happening. And then we kind of leave realism, um, pretty, pretty clearly, you know, with like, uh, the red fowl, there's a bird mm -hmm. that shows up and it becomes like very quickly a sort of. A metaphor but then it also becomes a, a spiritual reality for a character and then one of the characters ends up it clearly in a, like an alternative spiritual world and yet the book still then returns to a sense of realism and i think expects us to believe in the character interactions and the events as if they are happening you know in a world where spiritual things are weird or different or, or, or don't usually happen mm. and i just I, my, my brain just kept going back and forth among that you know like i don't know like how do you guys feel about that like if a book has magic in it do, you know do, 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 you, do you see what i'm saying like that the yeah. magic was like yeah. see i i think the characters in this book are ruled by the their their belief in this system as it were like, these are people who believe um, in the spirit world that they have yes. been taught this entire time. So to say, is there a separation between the two? No. Just like there's not a separation between the two, between a fundamentalist Christian and and what they see in the world. Everything is the hand of God, right? Mm -hmm. um, everything, you know, has a, has a Jesus is doing this or Jesus is doing that. Or a fundamentalist muslim or a fundamentalist jew you know whatever it might whatever your religion might be if that is your ordering principle everything goes back to that belief system now as a person who believes nothing I, you know i right. it, it actually you... it actually takes me a little bit longer in a book like this to 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 put that aside and say okay yeah. this is how they look at the world and so therefore the by they you mean the characters the characters yeah but what about the book itself well i think you have to either buy the concept or you don't like that right, but but in this case okay like literally i guess like a very specific example could be like the because like i totally get what you're saying like i i love the idea for instance there's a plot line in this that the the two ray ray who's the kid who's killed his two parents um ernest and maria are older and Ernest is dying or is uh, suffering from Alzheimer's and then they take on a foster kid and like I love the idea that they start to believe that the kid is like a reincarnation of Ray Ray or somehow is right. the spirit of Ray Ray coming mm -hmm. back I believe that they as characters but the book itself actually makes it very clear that he actually is the spirit of Ray Ray by having him quote the same things as Ray Ray. Right. And like, so it's, it, 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 for me, the book goes beyond like representing a character's belief systems and how they're interpreting the world and actually encourages the reader to buy into, you know, it's, it's like, it's like a, if I'm reading a book about fundamentalist Christians, it's the difference between like a book about fundamentalist Christians and a book about like, 
them being reaffirmed in their fundamentalist Christian belief of the world. Yeah. Because like I, you know, and that's a Christian book. And, you know, that's, that would be a book that I would say like, all right, like if, yes, if the, you know, the, the person you helped across the street turned out to be an angel, that is a different type of, that's like Christian literature, right? So do we put that same lens onto something like this, which is very spiritual? Like, I mean, it seems to me the book is very clearly saying that these rituals and these, I don't, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting to me, like, I, where I feel that difference. Mm -hmm. And maybe you guys don't feel the same way. I, mean, I, I feel I'm total... pretty fine. I, I feel like my sense of acceptance is very large because I also have in my brain that it's fiction, so everything's not real. So, right, you know, exactly. Like, that's, you know, that's present in my reading. Um, but I get what, I get what you're saying because some of the things that it presents, like, you know, that this boy, this foster boy can like heal Alzheimer's. So I was like, oh, well, that's very interesting. <laughs> like, right. You know, right. that we're, cro I think what you're responding to is the realism of the writing, which is really yeah. good. So you're probably less comfortable with these spiritual elements being integrated into such realistic right. writing. You Correct. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, exactly. And th for me, I, I like and appreciate. Um, the things that are a little bit stranger outside my belief system. But when I really am like, okay, I'm like really into this is when it spiritual themes are like overlaid on realistic things very directly. Like towards the end, one of the characters discovers like an augmented reality hologram game. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so trippy. And that I'm like, I'm all in on this. Like I would read a whole book yeah. about just this because it's taking that spiritual but I, I feeling. Would pose it, I would pose it that that narrator, Edgar, yeah. the brother, is not alive. Okay. I yeah. would pose it that Ed, Edgar has OD'd. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. I, thought, I thought that was pretty... And yeah. what we are experiencing are, you know... His, his spiritual afterlife. His, sure. his, 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 like, that's his fucking bardo. Of all bardos, that's the bardo <laughs> that he gets, right? Um, I mean, and I think that's... So, spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear any more about what we believe, <laughs> go listen to the episode on the Babysitter's Club. We'll, let, we're, we'll oh pause. God. What are you talking about? Okay, so by the end of his uh, section, you know, it's clear to me that he's dead, mm -hmm. obviously. And, you know, w when by the end of the book, um, they see that vision through the firelight... It's not just Edgar, it's it's every dead ancestor, right. you know, mm -hmm. um, who have come to mourn with them. Um, like, it then makes me go like, oh, God, I was so stupid in the first chapters of him doing this strange journey. I thought this was real. And I was like, how on earth do you get off a train in the middle of nowhere and run to a guy in high school with and go choose to stay in this house? And then I was like, oh, right, that's not real. It's yeah. not. But like you said, Julia. Um, Brandon Hobson's writing it in a very realist way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't delineate between surrealism and realism in his writing. No. Um, he writes them in all the same, not all the same way because he's using different voices. And, and let me just say, like, dude, if you're going to write a book with four different first-person narrators, you've got to be super talented and super ballsy, and, and Brandon Hobson does that because you, you can tell who's who, which is very hard to do. Um, but at any rate, like once I realized like, oh man, 
he's going to write surrealist stuff and realist stuff using the same voice, and my dog's very upset about it, um, then it's up to the reader to really interpret, um, you know, how they feel about each of those things. And I like that. I like that challenge. I really mm -hmm. do. Because, you know what, it, I think it's, it plays well with the character who has Alzheimer's. So the father in the in the story, um, uh, Ernest is his name, has Alzheimer's. And what is Alzheimer's but living in a totally alternate reality mm -hmm. all of the right. time? Right. And so he does a really nice job of, I think, juxtaposing those things. Yeah, I think one of my, you know, one of the greatest strengths of this book um, is the... The sort of the way that he's able, like he captures people in like heightened states, yeah. you know, uh, often drugs or emotion or, uh, you know, he doesn't actually go into the Alzheimer's Ernest's mind, but um, uh, he captures people in, 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 in moments of like erratic behavior or weird impulses. And yet his, his writing stays very measured and calm. Mm -hmm. And that becomes like this crazy disconnect. Yeah. Like one of my favorite sections is when, um, uh, Edgar is is doing drugs alone in a hotel room, mm -hmm. and he just you know he's he's high on meth and oxycodone and pot and beer and whatever else. And, but it you know I think the 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 tendency or the 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 natural inclination of a writer to represent that would be to like let the words like get weirder or the language. Right. But instead, the language stays completely measured yeah. and completely clear. He's just now going to count the tiles in the bathroom. Yeah. Right. And then he lost track of count. And you're like, and you just, you, it starts to feel like you're going crazy just reading it. And I thought that was so effective. And he does it a couple times. times. Um, the sister too, uh, Sonia, when she's like acting really erratic, you know, she's kind of like putting herself in dangerous situations, like kind of stalking a guy. And like, you're kind of like, why, you know, and, and she's being aggressive sexually. But then, like, her voice, when she's talking to herself, it all sounds very rational yeah. and calm and normal. And it's like, it sounds like the way we all talk to ourselves, which is like, we are the smartest ones. We are the rational ones. But then you're watching their behavior just get farther and farther away from that. And I thought that was really, really effective. And, like, mm -hmm. some of the, that's, like, the, that's the, the coolest way I've seen people represent, like, erratic behavior and, and mental states. Um, but like, like I said, it got, when I, when I, when I knew it was magical or when I knew it was unreal in a way, and not only that, but unreal in a system or in a sort of, uh, like, I guess that's what it is for me. It, it's, it's just a religiosity thing that I, I sort of, you know, I pull back from it because it starts to feel, um, self-fulfilling and it's like, okay. Um, it, it loses some of that organic storytelling quality. I, I you yeah. know, I, 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 the closest understand. parallel that I kept thinking about was Leslie Marmon Silko's Ceremony, which is an amazing book that I haven't read in a long time, actually, and I really want to reread it. But it's a similar thing in that she uses Native American stories to tell the story of a guy coming back from World War II and, and living on the reservation and being, you know, severely, like, traumatized by the war. And how he heals himself involves... Uh, you know the the natural medicine or the medicine of the, uh, the the storytelling and and it becomes this like ritual and it, the way the book sort of blends in and out of it you're never quite and the, the language there is very it's very like Faulknerian and stream of consciousness um, and the the difference I would say between that book and this book is that that book sort of never maintains a level of realism it sort of always is in this language space uh where you're moving in and out of traditional stories and the contemporary story and it's 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 never clear like 
is there magic happening or is there is there just a normal like everyday experience happening uh it's sort of like on the level of language blurs those lines whereas this one yeah sticks with this realism tone um and i i guess i just found that a little it, it's that's like a little difficult for my brain to like go back and forth well, you know the the interesting thing too the interesting thing too is when it's actually in the uh the the spirit voice the sala mm-hmm. is, is, is yeah. am i pronouncing that correctly t-s-a-l-a yeah. Uh, the spirit of Sala, uh, and if I'm saying it wrong, I apologize. Um, and you know, there's these these stories and these myths that are being told alongside a a human story of essentially the beginning of the Trail of Tears mm-hmm. and the slaughter of uh, a bunch of people by American soldiers. Uh, part of our rich history of killing people. Um, and. I was like, wow, these are crazy myth stories that I've never heard. They're really violent mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and really interesting. And then I had to go look. And, and of course, like, Brandon Hobson's, like, made a lot of this stuff up. Mm-hmm. And that's the other side of it. It's like, oh, you know what? We are so conditioned to thinking, like, well, if we if it says this is a great Cherokee myth, then, of course, it right. must be. But when, yeah. And it's written by a Cherokee Nation member. Yeah, we but, assume it's part of it. Yeah, Right. But he's just make he makes shit up like anyone else does. And it reminded me, too, Julia, of what Stephen does in The Only Good Indians, where, like, he just yeah. makes some shit up, like, makes up myths. And because we, as uh, people who are not Native Americans, who are so ill-read in Native yeah. American literature, we're like, oh, well, that must be true. You know, that, I know. It's like it's our, this book? our eagerness to get on board and, like, honor whatever the writer's trying to do. Like, I know that I've got this, like, you know, anxious white person, like, I really want to, like, understand these stories. I really right. want to, like, get on board with all this so yeah it is it is such an interesting dynamic but but, so here's the thing though is like in you know in my books about the hitman rabbi i do the exact same thing with judaism sure Mm -hmm. and so i'll get emails from people saying you said this is a talmud quote and it's not and i was like i know it's not a hitman made it up (laughs) like uh, (laughs) like he's not jewish and he only understands what he understands and so he says things just to say them it doesn't mean it's actually the Jewish faith. And people are like, why? Well, I, I find that very upsetting as a blah, blah. I'm like, okay, delete. <laughs> right. yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think that is another level of the reading of this that I, I personally found, you know, super engaging after I finished it. It's like, oh, man, he's fucking with us on a lot of different levels. <laughs> <laughs> and I deeply appreciate that. Um, but I think the comparison to the only good Indians is interesting also because in both of these books, you know, they're, they're playing with, um, with cliche, right? They're playing with what we think we know about native American culture and, and flipping it on its head. And so when we get to the sections with Edgar, um, who, um, I, I believe is not of this world and he gets involved in this, like killing indians video game and all this stuff it it's such an interesting section it's yeah. so, it really yeah. just shifts the narrative completely out of the bounds of reality but it, it also seems like it could very likely be real yeah and i love that challenge you know i love that hobson um makes that leap and forces us to start asking our own questions like well is this true because it sounds harebrained but there's a manual that's reprinted in this 
<laughs> well, see, the way I was kept thinking about it, like, I, I kept thinking that that section was going to settle in either, you know, the idea that he's dreaming all of this while he is Odin. Right. In other words, like a sort of Jacob's Laddery. This is all, this entire, you know, he's lived this whole lifetime and then he's going to wake up at the end and, and be in the hotel room, you know, having not died or having had a near-death experience. And this was the sort of vision that he was having that he learned from. Um, but I don't think, you know, I don't think that that was the intention. I think the intention was that he was actually in the spirit world. By the end of the book, I was yeah. like, oh, right, we're not going to settle this. We're just going to, this is just Edgar's spirit has moved on. And and I think, the, you know, and the book, I, I, I feel like the visions in this book are meant to be taken literally. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being too. No, I think you're too. right. And for me, I'm into it. As someone who doesn't really connect to anything that's not very literal, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I just mean in my own belief systems, you know, it is. Don't you sometimes wish that you believe that stuff? You yeah, know? because then you don't ever feel like you're living in chaos. You're yes, like, well, exactly. that old man in the sky is going to take care of it. Exactly. It's like <laughs> visiting another place where tragic things have meaning and that they can connect to the past right. and the future. I mean, it, it makes me understand, you know, say religious in-laws, you know, like, well, <laughs> yeah. it's God's plan that's God's plan? Killing six million Jews? That was God's plan? <laughs> you know, like, uh, God's plan has a, God's got a big plan. But it is, I mean, this this book is very generous to the characters in that they're very kind. They're extremely likable to me. Mm -hmm. And, like, I want Even for Sonya. these. Yeah, yeah. I want for these parents, especially, to have this boy who, like, is nice and nerdy and cool, you know, mm -hmm. and that's you know it's not it doesn't feel like complicated and this is why i say the book isn't like difficult to read to and i'm like i'm like just reading nice scenes about a cool little teenage boy um, but i <laughs> want might, that for who them. might be christ yeah but i want that for these characters i'm like they deserve this after the trauma that they've been through you know right i mean this um, nice little this nice little teenage boy who also is the only person who can who can stop angry people from being angry and can lead them into the forest yeah. to, to save the purest of the pure animals. Yep. Like, oh, yeah, he's very, he's either Ray Ray or he's Jesus. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure which. Yeah. That's, that's, I, uh, we should also mention, I really love the, the Sonia Vin stuff. Yeah. Um, mostly because I just love, like, you, you know, it, there's a reveal, which we don't need to get into, but like, you know, you. I was reading it, going like, "What is she's really like stalking this guy? This is yeah. weird." But then I just loved the descriptions of their dates and how he just, he just felt like such a twenty-something self-involved white dude, bro. <laughs> yeah. That I just feel like it's like, oh my god, I loved the representation. She's like trying to draw him out or try, and all he wants to do is talk about himself. And I just thought it was such a, it was perfectly handled. I felt like, oh, I know this guy just talking mm -hmm. about his music and how this meant me to do And she's trying to play along and, and, you know, you find out why she's playing along. But at the time I was like, why is she sticking around with this guy? Like he's such a douchebag, but it's such a, a specific type of douchebag. I feel like I've met a million times in my life and I really yeah. I loved his, his representation. His Morrissey records. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And not CDs, to be accurate. Records. Oh, yeah. Morrissey records. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I love those scenes. And Sonia is such an interesting character because she's doing things outwardly that we immediately know are deeply fucked up. You know, she's right. stalking a guy and his son who's got autism. Yeah. And and is like almost... And she's... So she's in her 30s 
and Vin is in his 20s, and he's got a, a young son with autism. And she stalks them for a long time before she finally makes her move. And so Vin is is in a band, and she goes to see the band play at a bar, and then she uh, basically, you know, ends up starting a sexual relationship with him for for a purpose that is not revealed until the till the very end, other than um, our enjoyment reading it. <laughs> um, but you know, a deeply fucked up character with a long game. Oh, I like that. I, li- <laughs> I like that. Anyone with a long. Well, it's game? the most crimey, plotty part yeah. of this book, too. Right? I mean, yeah. it really is. If that's the part that, uh, yeah, and it again reminded me of Steph Chaw a little bit. You know, it's like where the li- the family's. You know, whatever. I don't want to reveal it too much, but. Um, yeah. Man, I think about Steph's book all the time. Yeah, you know? that's a great book. Isn't that yeah. weird? Like that, uh, we read that book like a year ago, and I think about it a lot. I was just talking. I about do too, man. Especially living in Los Angeles, I think yeah. about it a lot. Um, and of course, turning on the news and seeing more uh, black people getting shot yeah. every day. And, <laughs> Can't uh, help but be reminded of. And it. this, so n- unrelated to Brandon, but Steph is now the editor of the Best American Mystery Stories. Oh, cool! Uh, the anthology great. that used to be edited by a guy named Otto Penzler who did not believe women could write crime and really did Oops. not believe in um, having any sort of racial diversity in his uh, in his picks and made a big stink about this um, two years ago, got fired and replaced by the person who made the biggest stink about him, Steph Chow. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite a moment. I was like, oh, the scales are even. And plus, I like Steph. She's my friend. So, <laughs> so even better for that. Um, so the one last thing on... on in my thinking about this book is that it actually ends um, in a really sort of heartbreakingly hopeful note. Yeah. And I don't know why I felt ebullient at the end of this horribly sad and depressing and awful, you know, story of loss. Um, You know, everyone, every single character in this book loses a part of themselves in a, in a really fundamental way. Um, You know, Ray Ray loses his life. Uh, his mother loses this, you know, the her heart and soul, which is her son. Ernest loses his mind, literally. Sonia essentially devotes her life to um, to retribution. Yep. Um, Edgar loses himself to drugs. Um, but by the end of the story, and perhaps it is the entrance of Wyatt. You know, Wyatt, I think, represents um, a notion of... of betterness in the world that there is still something amazing that is left in the world and by the end of the story i just felt i felt lifted and i was sitting here in this very room where i am right now i was sitting right to the to my right and i closed the book and i was like wow that was i felt i feel really like i just had a gift at the end of this yeah well that's Uh, great i mean that is that is what i mean I think that goes along with what I've been saying. It's a spiritual text. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's a it's 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 almost like a ritual itself. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and it's interesting that, you know, that early on in the book she talks about doxology, um, you know, which is singing praises in Catholicism. And I think that there's you know that that's intentional. I think that that's kind of the goal of the book is that that yeah. to create a story that ritualistically allows this family to 
be Healed. reborn yeah. or to get over their loss or to grieve, you know? So it is, it's almost like a hymn. It's a doxol doxological oh. book in a way. It's like, you know, singing the praises to the spirit or to the God that makes life continue and, and allows us to get over something, you know? And mm. I, and I think that's part of why I didn't like it is because, <laughs> because that feels convenient. You know, it feels like the God showing up at the end of Shakespeare and fixing everything. It's a little like, Oh, but I wanted this to be a little messier and more complicated, you know? And I guess that's just my taste so, or just I who think, I am. I think the culture is changing a little bit. Cause I think, yeah, this book is about healing and allows them to be healed. You know, mm -hmm. that how, whatever percent healed, you know, it's, it's definitely not, perfection it's sort of a it's a suspenseful ending that's moving towards healing right mm -hmm. um yeah but i'm thinking of other media that i've personally loved in the last few years and now we'll go to tv and movies because that's just how it goes um but <laughs> some of the best endings i've seen are the ending of the good place the ending of yeah. russian doll mm -hmm. like these are even though those shows are dark the endings are the same they're like yeah. they offer you know, like here's Redemption. we heal by they have different theses, basically, like they're spiritual in a different way. Like the ending of Russian mm -hmm. Doll is like we can only save each other, but we can save I, each other. I, I sobbed like a fucking baby at the end of Russian Me Doll. Too. I didn't know why. Yeah. Like they're they're walking through those streets and that carnival of people. And I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And. You know, the good place is just like self-acceptance. And these are the spiritual elements that Ryder, like, you might be more comfortable with. Or I'm like, yep, this, yeah, I totally believe this. <laughs> yeah. But mm -hmm. yeah. it's the same exact thing. Like, we want healing. We're craving healing. And I think, like, at this point, we all know, like, shit's bad and America's <laughs> fucked up for hundreds of years. So, like, yeah. how do we get out of this? How do we, how do we move through but not like overlook stories like the trail of tears right um or you know police violence which we've barely talked about but is like one of the points of the book um, i mean it, it, this this book is about a shooting and this is the ripples that take 15 years to get to shore exactly right yeah but it had yeah i think we're going to see more books like this i or more endings like this specifically and more fiction nonfiction, like not cheesy and like optimistic, but dealing with some scabs that we've picked off finally. You know, I wonder. I, I keep wondering if it's all going to be escapist. You know, like yeah, you know, if, if all the art that's going to come out of twenty twenty is going to be like aliens and superheroes that just like no. avoid. AI, you know, I I don't know. I'm I'm curious. No, it, I know a lot of people are writing stuff that are really tackling all the despair and. Uh, you know, fears and anxieties that we've been going through, but I'm not sure if that's what's going to be popular. That's that's what I'm curious about. Like, you know, what are we going to want as a culture, as a as readers and and watchers? Are we going to want escapism, or are we going to want stories that hit some of this stuff head on and really um, wrestle with these issues? Well, we I mean, I think right now with. what you're seeing, at least with books, in the last six months or so. Well, not six months. I'm sorry, five months, uh, four months since January twentieth specifically. Um, is like there's a lot of like, hey, we're going to correct the yes. asshole. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, we're going to we're going to bring order to chaos. Um, you know, we're going to have a lot of antiheroes who are fighting back against governmental oppression. And that government can be big or small. You know, you're going to see and a lot of that. It's a lot easier to do it in fiction than real life. So I yeah. totally agree. Like 
for writers who are feeling pent up and who are really skilled about some of these issues, like I think there's going to be a landslide of corrective work through art. Yeah, I mean, not to not to use myself as an example, but I'm the only person I know intimately about these things. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know if I would have gotten the reviews I got for The Low Desert uh, in 2020 as I'm getting them in 2021. Mm. Um, because it is about people on the other side of power, essentially, yeah, right. in most of the stories, trying to figure out how they can fit outside of whatever they find to be oppressive. And I think people are feeling that. I mean, and part of that's intentional. Like when I was writing this stuff, I knew how people were feeling because I was feeling that way. And so I think you're going to see that. You're going to and think about some of the stuff that we've been enjoying watching on TV. You know, yeah. um, even you know, just some like the documentaries and stuff. Like I watched this art heist documentary for four nights last week, and I was just like, "Oh man, this is great!" Like they got away with it. They got away <laughs> with stealing the art, and I was like, "That is not the takeaway." <laughs> okay, come on, that's timeless. It is enjoyable to watch a great heist. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, but I, I think. I think there's going to be a mixture of getting back and also finding catharsis. Mm -hmm. um, particularly if you can get back at the people. Well, so there, let's, let's talk about just one other thing. Like there is an attempt at reconciliation essentially with the cop who kills um, Ray Ray. And the mother recognizes that it's not going the way she thought it was going to go in her head. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because of course it never could. It never could. Um, and I think that's an important part of this book. Like, you you got to make your own happiness inside terrible grief because someone else isn't going to give it to you. Right. You know? Well. I also like that she doesn't ultimately forgive, right? No. Uh, so, But there is still healing at the end of the book. Yeah. But she doesn't have to, like, I, I, yeah, I feel like a much lesser book would have had her forgive the yeah. the police officer and that would have brought her healing instead it's like no i can't forgive you and that's still okay yeah. i can still be healed yeah. um why would i forgive somebody that's been terrible to me fuck that no. <laughs> is that that's not is that not popular i think that's pretty popular <laughs> literary disco is produced and edited by justin alvarez for lit hub radio you can reach out to us directly on twitter at literary disco happy reading everybody thanks for listening <laughs>